What do I got? 35 minutes. Uh, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to move slow. I'm not going to fly through it. I'm not going to get my heart rate up tonight. Uh, I'm not going to stress doing getting through. We've got, I got about nine pages of notes here to work through. But we're going to go through the first 14 or, 14 or 15 verses right here. And, and this, what we're looking at right here is the ministry of the two witnesses. And y'all, you know, you, when you talk about Revelation, you, you, often you're going to talk about the two witnesses. And, and, and most of you already have an idea about them. But that's what we're going to look at. Now, we're still in this passage here. We're not moving in a chronological time frame at this point. This is, this is part of chapter 10 and 11 that is kind of a parenthesis. There, there's the activity going on, and then boom, we got this parenthesis of chapter 10, and here in chapter 11, and, and we're actually seeing uh, not the chronological, not that these things don't happen in chronological order, but what we're seeing right here is, is, a, is a big part of this. It's a three-and-a-half-year scope that kind of this is, is, is covering. So in, in way of getting started here, so in chapter 12, 11 and 12, when we're reading this part, when we get here at 11 and 12, we're on Jewish ground at this point, okay? So, so when you're reading this, a lot of people want to... There, there's, there's a lot of different beliefs, and people will bring things in where the church is still here. The church is gone at this point, okay? So this is not the church. This isn't talking about... This isn't relating to the church at all. This is dealing with, with the Jews. This is, and it's on Jewish ground. You can see that. There we see the Jewish temple in chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. You see Jerusalem in verse 8. You see the ark in verse 19. You see Christ ruling in chapter 12, verse 5. We see Michael in, in, in uh, the angel, Mark angel Michael in, in verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, we see Satan's persecution of the Jews in chapter uh, 12, verses 17 there. So if we, if we try to spiritualize this passage here and apply it to the church, we're missing it altogether. You're totally missing what's going on here. So it, it goes back to a thing called hermeneutics. You have to have proper interpretation. If you, have a proper, if you don't have a proper interpretation, if you're off base on, on where you're coming at it from or who you're looking at, if you're trying to apply this to the church and it's not the church, you're going to miss totally what's going on here. So this is not the church. We're looking, this is really dealing with the Jews at this point. And at this point, when we come to here, we're at the middle of the tribulation, okay? We're right in the middle there. And uh, so just in way of, uh, in what I believe on this in my studies, you know, I believe that the two witnesses, that they're going to appear immediately following the rapture. I believe they're going to come on the scene. And uh, part of my thinking, in addition to what we read, is that I do not believe the Lord is going to leave mankind without a witness. The church is gone. God is gracious. He's still, he's still seeking to save, even in that tribulation period when the church has been raptured out. But the, we're gone. If you're, if you're a born-again Christian, you're gone. If you're not, you're still here, and you're wondering where everybody went. Okay, you're, You and two others are here on Wednesday night. I hope it's not me. If it's just me and, you, me and two others, I'm not teaching, okay? That's... We got other issues, um, but I believe that this is as soon as the rapture happens that these two come on the scene, and, and it's because of God's love, and He does not leave mankind without a witness. So I'm going to read the first four verses, and we'll work through this. Then I was given a reed. John says I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, "Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there." 
But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Who knows how long that is? Yeah, it, 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 it's three, it, so again, you've got the three and a half years, right? It's interesting the Lord uses different language for the same thing, right? It, it brings effects, but it's, it's, the, the, um, uh, it's three and a half years. They're clothed in sackcloth. The, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the, uh, the, the, God of the earth. Uh, by now, the Jewish temple has rebuilt. When we come to this point, the Jewish temple has been rebuilt, and the nation... Uh, and we're talking about the nation of Israel, though still in unbelief, they're worshiping Jehovah again. They're going through, the, they're, 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 they're doing Jewish worship. worship. They're worshiping as Jews. They're not believers at this point. And so that's what you're seeing because the witnesses are there witnessing, but there is temple worship going on. And it seems like that the two witnesses will minister during the first half of the tribulation, preaching to the Jews and having access to the temple. At the middle of the tribulation, Antichrist will break his covenant with Israel and take possession of the temple area. And we've read this verse a lot. We go back a lot to Daniel chapter 9, but you see it again in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. He says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an, uh, an end to sacrifice and offering. If, if he brings an end to sacrifice and offering, it means there's been sacrifice and offering. If there's sacrifice and offering, it means the temple has been rebuilt, that they are having temple worship again and they're offering sacrifices. I, a few weeks ago, we talked about the red heifers that have been delivered to Israel, not, not talking about taking them to Israel. They're, they're in Israel. And when those heifers come to an age for, to be sacrificed, the idea is they're going to begin this sacrifice. And again, Israel's ready to build a temple. Do not fool yourself. They're ready. They have everything they need except for... Now, I believe Israel could go in there and just take it and do it. But they'd have... You talk about war breaking out over there. I mean, it would be like maybe nothing we've seen before. And that's where all this falls in line as we see that the, 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 the Antichrist coming in and the work of this bringing peace. And we're three and a half years in. We, we, we studied months ago, we looked at Israel dropping, lowering their arms. They've lowered their guard. And at that point, they're, they're at peace. And, and this is when Gog and Magog comes in. How in the world? We go, how in the world could Gog and Magog just come in and attack them and their guard is down? We could, today, we, we find that. How would Israel ever get to that point? You, 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 it's hard for us to even fathom that, as defensive-minded as they have to be, that this is all that, that's going to come about in, the, in, these, in this end time that is going to lead up to this peace treaty, that they're now in peace, they're going to build a temple, and, and they're going to begin the temple worship again. And so 
when they and, and, and on, the, on the, the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. That's, that's Daniel 9.27. He's going to make peace. They're going to build the temple. He's going to break the peace three and a half years in. Matthew 24.15 says, Therefore, when we see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. There's coming this time where he's going to put himself up as God to be worshiped there in the temple. He'll set himself up as God and he's bringing about the abomination of desolation that Daniel and Christ both predicted. We see the temple overrun by the Gentiles for three and a half years. Fact is, uh, the Gentiles are overrunning Jerusalem right now. You know, Jerusalem is, is, a, is a city that is, everybody in the world is represented there. You, you go into the church of uh, the Church of the Nativity over in Bethlehem. We go in there and you have the, I believe it's the Orthodox Greek. You have the Catholics and you have the Jews. It seems like maybe, maybe Armenians or some of, there's another group that's, that's in there. And um, uh, it seems like they broke it up into four quadrants in there. And they're all sharing part of that. But what we see, the Jews do not have control completely of, of, of even their, their land in Jerusalem there. Um, so God asked here, God asked John to measure the temple area, and that's a symbolic action that goes back to Ezekiel chapter 40 and 41 and Zechariah chapter 2. And to measure something means to claim it, right? So, so what do we do today? If you're going to buy a house, what do we, what do, we do? Before you buy a property, you want to make sure it's surveyed, right? You've measured out. You want to know exactly where the lines, you want to measure it all out. It's showing that it's claiming it. You know, if I'm going to buy this, I want to know exactly what, what it is that I'm claiming this, and this is what this is. So though the forces of Satan have taken over the Jewish temple, Christ will clean it again and restore it to his people. And so we see here in verse 4, there's an allusion to Zechariah chapter 4 and 5 concerning Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. And so Zechariah 4.14 says, So he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So it's an allusion back there to, to, to Zechariah, and it's a, an allusion here. We're looking back to Zerubbabel and Joshua and, and the impact that they had in rebuilding of Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple, all the worship, everything that went on there. These men were so instrumental in that. So there's a look back to that. Now, so that makes, going back again to these two witnesses, here's the thought. These two men were God's servants. These two men, talking about in Zechariah 4 and 5, they were God's servants for reclaiming and rebuilding the temple and the nation after the Babylonian captivity and a time of national troubles. So they were real people. These were real people. So we gather that the two prophets here in Revelation chapter 11 are real men. They're not spiritual representations of the law and the gospels or, or the Old and the New Testaments. There's people who say that. There are those who say that these are spiritual representations, okay? Law and prophets, Old and New Testament. They're not metaphors. These are real men. These are, these are real people. They're going to stand there in Jerusalem and they're going to witness, they're going to proclaim, and we'll see what they're going to do. So they're real people, which brings the question that everybody then, you know, it's the, it just begs the question, who are these two witnesses? Okay, it's again, it kind of gets into the, 
you know, the, the secret things, the mysteries, God, the mysteries belong to the Lord. If he hadn't revealed it to us, we can get caught up sometimes chasing our tail over stuff that if God didn't show it to us, why are we so concerned with, with chasing that down? But, but the questions are there, okay? And so uh, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of diversity in this. If you've studied this at all, you know that. Uh, one of the, those that is speculated to be one of the two witnesses is Elijah. And, and most of the folks that I've read, there seems to kind of be an agreement that Elijah is probably one of the two. When you read Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's a pretty clear prophecy that Elijah is going to come back. There, in some way, shape, or form, he's coming back before the day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, some would say and some believe that John the Baptist fulfilled this prophecy, that Elijah came back as John the Baptist. John came in the spirit and, and power of Elijah. If you read that in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. However, this simply means that he worked by the power of the Spirit, not that he was Elijah, okay? He, it, it, it's the same Spirit that Elijah worked in, the Spirit of God. John was asked point blank about this in John chapter 1, verse 21, and he flatly and unequivocally said, I am not. Are you Elijah? I mean, they, they were wondering, they asked him, he said, I am not. I don't think John would have lied if that were the case. I don't think he would have lied. He wouldn't have said something different, but he wouldn't have just said, I am not. So we, we come to it that clearly it's someone other than John the Baptist. Yet, I'll tell you this, J. Vernon McGee, is pretty, he's pretty adamant that one of the two is Elijah. He says, I'm adamant on that. I believe that. He said, now, I really believe that the other is John the Baptist, but I ain't going to fight you over it. You know, so that, that's his take on it. So you see there's a lot of diversity here. Um, now, when you talk about Elijah, why would people think Elijah? Well, God miraculously, miraculously took Elijah into heaven, 2 Kings chapter 2, and these two will do the same. God's going to miraculously take them to heaven. The two uh, will prevent rain from falling. That was a miracle that Elijah did in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah called down fire from heaven. The two will employ fire in their ministry. We're going to see that. That's their defense. Uh, Elijah imposed a three-and-a-half-year drought. When he, when he declared that, it was a three-and-a-half-year drought. It's the same duration uh, of the time of these two witnesses. So uh, there's a lot of things that you can draw from that and go, uh, it's a, maybe it's Elijah. Uh, then some suggest that the other is, you've had some that suggest it's John the Baptist. Others have suggested maybe it's Enoch. And why, why maybe Enoch? Well, Enoch never died. Just like Elijah, he was taken up. Enoch was taken up. He never died a physical death. Um, I tend to think, and I'll just tell you what I think, I tend to lean this way, Elijah, if it's Elijah, and I think Elijah is certainly one, I would lean more toward Moses being the other. And that's, that's belief a lot of have, people have. Both Moses and Elijah appeared at Christ's transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. By God's power, Moses turned water into blood. That's one of the, the miracles that, that, that these two work. Uh, Moses' body was, was miraculous, uh, miraculously preserved for restoration, Deuteronomy chapter 34. So when these two die, their bodies will also be restored. We're going to see that. We see that in the chapter, uh, here in chapter 11, verse 11. 
Uh, Satan fought the archangel Michael for possession of Moses' body. We see, read about that in Jude chapter 9. And maybe he, he uh, thought that you know, his intention was that he could, he could keep God from doing what God planned to do in that with, with bringing Moses. If, Moses. if I can get Moses' body, and then he can't come back later. I'm going to mess up God's plan. That's a, one of the speculations on that. And uh, Moses represented, represents the law and Elijah the prophets. And since the, the witnesses will minister within the nation of Israel, this connection with Jewish scriptures will underscore their message. If it's Elijah and if it's Moses, I mean, can you imagine if it's those two men and they know who they are? Now, they won't believe it. They, they, there'll be those that will not believe regardless. Um, so that, that's some of the takes on who the two are. Now, some would say that we cannot know, and I'd still say that. You know, we can't know for sure. This is something, if we get caught up in the weeds on this, if it's something we want to argue about, we, we're, we're arguing the wrong things right here, okay? So you can believe what you want here. You can figure it out. And, 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 uh, but here's the, the fact. We don't have to know. It doesn't, it doesn't affect anything or change anything. And there's others who, who take this approach. They say that the two may actually be totally new people, not Old Testament Saints, Old Testament characters, may people we've never seen before that God uses at this time in history. Could be any of those. Could be any of those. Okay? So, we have the two witnesses. Let's look at, beginning there in verse 3, we're going to look at their prophecies. Uh, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,200, excuse me, and 60 days, clothed in sackcloth. So their prophecy, what is their prophecy? They're prophets. What is their prophecy? Well, their prophecy is judgment. That's their prophecy. It's of judgment because they, they're clothed in sackcloth. Now, that sackcloth in that time, it would, it would have been a coarse, what they call a mohair fabric, which is just a fabric made from goat's hair. And it was a fabric that the Jews wore to express mourning or distress or repentance. So they're going to be clothed in that. That's what they're clothed in from the start of this. And why two witnesses? Why, why didn't God send one witness? Why not five witnesses? Why two witnesses? Any thoughts? One witness to take care of What's that? Two witnesses. We need a witness. Excellent. Exactly. That's the, that's, that's a, you're, 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 you were dancing all around it there, Thomas. You know, if it's just me, I could be corrupted. I could tell a lie, right? But you have a second witness there, and, 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 and that's why Jewish law was the way it was. God, in his wisdom, said that. So it's to comply with the legal standards of Jewish law. Deuteronomy 17, 6 says, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. What are they coming to? It's a, it, they're, they're coming to speak judgment. And so their testimony is a, is a witness against these folks. And so the two of them, so again, one, one may be mistaken or corrupted, but the corroboration of two witnesses confirms the truth. And you look at some examples through Scripture. So there were two angels at the tomb that testified that Christ had risen, right? You ever thought about that? Could have been one there. One could have easily have, has told us that, that the Lord was risen. He's not here. He's, you know. But there were two. There were two angels testified to the disciples that he had ascended, uh, Moses and Aaron, Together, Joshua and Caleb, Zerubbabel and Joshua, Peter and John, Paul and Silas, Timothy and Titus. Uh, Jesus sent out the apostles in pairs. You read that in Mark 6, 7. As well as the 70. When he sent out the 70, he sent them out in pairs. Luke 10, 1. 
So these two will confirm God's message of judgment and his call to repentance with their uh, perfect testimony. Why, did, why were they there? They were prophesying judgment. But why are they there? What is the ultimate purpose of the two witnesses? What are your thoughts? To witness to the Jews to bring what? To bring salvation. Right. It's the, the idea, what, what God, again, what God's doing, he's speaking, this is what's going to happen. These witnesses are testifying to that. They're testifying to Christ. They're, they're, they're speaking the truth of the gospel and trying to shake these people awake and get them out of this whatever, this malaise that they're in so that they'll, they'll repent and come to faith. That's, that's their, their purpose. That's their prophecies. And then we see their powerful witness in verse 3. It says, and I will give a power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Again, uh, there they, they will be filled with the spirit of God. He will empower them with both speech and actions to convict their audiences to, to come of coming judgment and the urgency to repent. He, it, it, they're speaking. They're, they're going to speak truth. Folks, you know, I think we've lost that in, in uh, I ain't saying we as in First Baptist Geneva. Um, I think what we've lost as a whole in the church is we don't, we don't witness to people at all. You know, I'm going to tell you, inviting somebody to, to, you know, telling somebody you'll pray for them, that's, that's not witnessing to them, okay? Um, listening to Christian music around certain people or asking them not to cuss because you're a Christian, that's not witnessing. That, that, that may be, you may be sharing the way you live your life, they may be able to see that, that there's something different. That's not soul winning. People don't get saved because, because you're a nice person. We have to confront with sin. You have to confront with the truth of who we are. Folks, we cannot be saved if we don't understand we're sinners. Right? Right? We cannot be saved. If someone says, if they've never come to a point of understanding they're a sinner... And they tell you, yeah, I'm a Christian. They're not a Christian. Because if you don't understand your lostness, you cannot be saved. We have to understand our lostness. We have to understand that because of my sin, sin that I was born with, my sin nature that I was born with, because of the fall in the garden, Adam and Eve, they fell. Sin had came on all of men, and we're all sinners. We are separated from God by that sin. Until we understand that, we're not going to... I, I use this, and it's a weak argument, but it, it tries to paint the picture. If you don't believe you have cancer, you ain't taking chemo. Amen? And you gotta, you gotta, uh, you gotta come to the place where you understand, you you realize, I've, I got a disease, and it's called sin, and I'm lost because of it. I'm separated from God. Then we get to that point, then we can come to Christ because then we can turn from doing it ourselves, thinking we're okay. I'm really a good person. You know, I'm not really a sinner. I'm a good person. If you think you're a good person, you. you then you don't understand your need for salvation. You don't understand what Christ did for you. Christ didn't come just to make you a better person. He came and died in your place on the cross to pay for your sin. That's what he did. So we, they have to understand that. And so 
That's what these witnesses are going to be doing. They're not going to be standing out there just jibber-jabbering. They're going to be witnessing to these people strongly. Okay? They're going to be preaching uh, with, in, uh, with insight. Um, their, preaching, their preaching is going to bring hatred. Okay, so when, when, I mean, you look at today, when you speak truth about, you start naming the name of Jesus, you can talk about God all day long. You start naming the name of Jesus, folks get violently angry in our country today. These folks, as, as, the, as the witnesses are preaching, they're, they're, it's going to incite anger. It's going to, there's going to be intense hatred for them from the people around them. They're going to confront these people with their sin to their face. Okay, I think we have to be careful how we do that, right? Now, we need to share that people are lost. When I was in college, and I was a Christian, I'm, 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 I was at the university, I was at that great, that great spiritual institution there in Athens. That great spiritual institution. That, that, that cesspool of, 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 of anything spiritual. It was a cesspool. Uh, at the University of Georgia. And uh, there was a, there was a, a place that, that, Tate's, that they had a student center called the Tate Student Center. And they had a, a public podium area built up, platform out there. And anybody that wanted to come, I guess you had to reserve it. But anybody who wanted to come could come out there and they could stand there and they could do whatever they wanted to do. They could talk, um, they could preach, they could whatever. And so there was a guy that used to go out there, and his name, he was Brother Jeb. I'll never forget it. And Brother Jeb, you know, I was a believer, and I was ready to, I was ready to smack him. Because he just, he, he was, I mean, he was so, it was, everybody there was a, you just a bunch of whores and whoremongers. That's, that, I mean, that's what he was saying. You're, 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 you know, he was uh, sodomites. I mean, he was just, everybody was just lashing. Didn't know any of them. Didn't know what they were or any of that. And it was that kind of language. So what he did is he built a wall. He wasn't building a bridge to, to, for them to listen to him. And if you've ever watched, um, who am I thinking about? Uh, Kirk Cameron works with this guy. Some of you know who I'm talking about. No, uh, he goes out and he street preaches. I, uh, I can't think of his name. I'll think of it in a minute. And he, he's so good because he'll go out and he'll just have a conversation with people. And, you know, he's asking like, Linda, have you ever, you know, Linda, have you ever, you ever stolen anything? Well, I don't know. You ever like taken a pen on yours? Even a paper clip. You ever take, when people go, well, yeah, probably. You know, have you, have you ever looked on somebody with, with lust, you know, and everybody's going to go, well, yeah, I'm sure at some point I did. And, you know, uh, have you ever told a lie? I mean, just even a little one and. You know, yeah, and he said, "Well, see, you've already confessed right now to being a a lying, thieving adulterer." You know, uh, you know, the, already, he, he, and and he gets them to understand their sin, that they're not perfect, that they're not sinless, and so he's building a bridge instead of instead of building a wall. So we have to be careful. But we have to confront, and that's we do that. You get in a relation, you get to in a conversation with somebody, and we can do that. It's called wisdom and tact, and being led of the Holy Spirit, and all those things. There's ways to do that. But folks, we have to confront people with the fact that if if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're lost, and if you die in your lostness, you go to an eternal hell. This is real. This is real. This isn't this isn't fairy tale. It's not a made up story. 
This is real. And, and when we embrace that and understand and we get we'll get passionate about sharing our faith with other people. And because we care about them, we want them. Now, listen, if you share it and they reject it, they haven't rejected you. They're rejecting Christ. But we use wisdom in, in the way we do that. But we have to confront with the fact that we're sinners. And they're going to do that. They're going to confront them to their face. They're going to confront their sin. They're going to warn that the disasters of the tribulation period are judgments that they have brought on themselves by rejecting Christ as Lord. They have turned Jerusalem into a pit of depravity. They're going to confront them with the, 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 the fact that they're going to refute the claims of the Antichrist and expose him for the, for the Satan-controlled being that he is. They're going to confront that. They're going to expose him. They're going to refute the lie that man is innately good and improvable. See, that's the, that's the lie of today, is that we're really good. Man's really good. Man, we're, we're constantly getting better. Really? Have you looked around lately? We're, we're not getting better. Man's not getting better. But our hearts are just as wicked right now as they were the instant that man fell into sin. I don't believe we're any darker or, or less dark in the sin than we were right then. I mean, the, the Cain killed Abel. I mean... He didn't have a gun either. Amazing how he could do that. You don't have to have a gun to kill somebody. A rock will work just fine. Um, and they're going to warn of more horrific judgment to come if the people don't turn from their depravity. They're going to speak truth. I'm not sure they're going to speak truth in love. We're at a time where we got to speak truth and we got to do it. We got to do it in a tactful way. We, we gotta, but we got to speak truth, folks. Folks, we have to help people understand their lostness so then they can repent of their sin and turn to Christ. we got to do that. Now, people today, don't, they don't like it. Um, you know, not, even, not, not, not only do the lost today reject truth, but they'll do everything they can to silence it, right? I mean, we see it all around us. So they're going to they're gonna try to silence the witnesses. They're going to try to silence these two witnesses. You see their plagues here. Verse 5, there's the plague of death. Uh, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. So we see here fire. There's death. People who try to kill them, who, those who want to do harm to them, they're killed with fire. Now, I don't know. Uh, Patrick and I were talking about this the other day. One of the things you got to remember as you're reading this, and I do think there are going to be things that are supernatural. I think there are going to be things that we're going to see that people, well, I ain't going to see it, but people are going to see that they don't understand, like the miracles of the Old Testament. There, there are going to be signs and, and wonders that are worked. Um, so I don't know. I mean, is this, is this going to be a situation where literally fire shoots from their mouths? It very well could be. Very well could be. It could just be the power of their word. I don't know, but it says, I don't know why the scriptures would say fire if it wasn't fire. Okay? So I tend to believe that if somebody comes to harm them, crispy. Crispy. Frame broiled. Yeah. Verse 6, drought. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Three and a half years they're there. And so they, they, they have the power to shut heaven, and there's no rain that falls. There's disease also. 
Uh, also in verse 6 there, it says, And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. These two men, whoever they are, they are empowered by God and they're going to do some miraculous things. And uh, when you see here, this, the, the plague here, the, the disease and the blood turning to, the water turning to blood and the plagues there, uh, it kind of correlates with the, the, the things that were announced back with the second trumpet back in Revelation 8, verse 8 and 9. You can read that. Uh, well, then it says, Then the second uh, angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and, and a third of the sea became blood. So the waters were turned to blood. So th this could very well be something that they've done. Um, oh, man. Okay, well... I'm going to stop right there. Uh, all right. Now, the purpose, let's look at a couple more things. The purpose of their witness, verse 5 and 6. They will display God's power to unbelieving Jews and Gentiles, and many will be saved through their witness. Now, as they're, it sounds like, you know, when we're reading that, and they're, they're, there's folks that are going to be killed because of this, but as they're testifying, there are folks that are going to be saved because of their witness and their, and their testimony and their preaching. Um, they're called prophets. You see it in verse 6. We see it in verse 10, as well as witnesses. So not only are they prophets, but they're witnesses. Not, not only witnesses, but prophets. And they will announce to the, to the world the great events to come and will incur, incur the, the wrath of the beast and his people. They're after them. So the purpose of their witness there. The death of the witnesses, we see that in verse 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Now, different, different speculation then on how this is done. Does the beast, does he give an order for them to be assassinated? When he talks about war, it could be a war like that. It could be actually bringing an army in there. But it, 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 you know it's in God's plan for God to allow them because he's empowered them for these three and a half years that anyone seeking to harm them, they could kill with fire. So I don't know what they're going to bring against them, but they're going to think that they're going to kill them and they're going to think, wow, we've got victory. So this is halfway through the tribulation when this happens. And now the, 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 the two witnesses have been killed. The display of their bodies, look at verse, uh, verse eight, and their bodies and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So we know from that, it, it's, it's interesting the wording there, but um, because John's wanting to tell us more about what Jerusalem has become. Their bodies remain unburied, and the reason of that is to defile them and to demonstrate his contempt for them and their message. I mean, you, you, you just let them lay there and rot. That's contempt for someone. You know, most, of, most, uh, most cultures... That they want to bury a body. They want to at least show some honor to that and bury the body. It's, the right, it's always been like the right thing. They want, they're not going to do that. They want them to lay there. They want people to come and look at it and admire it and, and all of that. And so the city of Jerusalem at this point, the holy city will be a sewer of corruption like ancient Sodom and Egypt. And these cities are associated in the minds of the Jews with, with the most depraved sexual perversions and the cruelest tyranny. So when, when you talk about what Jerusalem has become at that time, it's a perverse city of what's going on there. Verse 9, then those, uh, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations 
will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. So the entire world, and this is where the verse you, we, we've looked at and you, know, you talk about with prophecy, is how could they ever, how could this be that the bodies lay there for three and a half days and the whole world sees it? But we see that. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. The whole world is going to look on these bodies. Well, there was a time where that was dismissed, and, and it was, well, this, this verse is impossible. This is impossible for this to happen. There's no way that this, this spectacle could be seen around the world. And yet today, the technology that, that makes that possible has become, I mean, it's become very, it's, it's just exactly, Thomas. I mean, you, you, you go, well, what about somebody out... Uh, Todd, when you were in Africa, um, and how long has it been since you've been back from Africa? Four or five years. Okay. Four or five years ago, how many people in Africa had a cell phone? Most of them. Most of them had a cell phone. You go out in the remotest areas of Africa and they got a cell phone, right? I mean, he's told this story before. Uh, I've been in Tajikistan out in these remote villages that have power five hours a day, and they're out there with their phones. And so now we know they're not out there. They, they were a lot of flip phones. Well, they weren't flip phones. They were the little, almost like the little Nokia. I used to love that little Nokia. That little Nokia. It fit in my pocket perfect. And you, the only thing you could do was it was like, it was like uh, 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 if he was texting, you had to, it was like doing a, yeah, I mean, but I had the numbers. I had them memorized. I could do it. I could text in my pocket, man. It was easy. Uh, I love that phone, but that's what they had over there is those little bitty phones like that. Now, I promise you, they all got these. So when that happens, the whole world is going to tune in, and they're going to watch it, and they can watch it on their phone, they can watch it on their computer. The whole world's going to be able to watch that. They'll even watch it in Papua New Guinea. In Papua New Guinea. And those remote villages. Yes, they have little solar panels. Uh, uh, solar panels, little small sun solar panels that they Ray Comfort, yeah. Well, you texting me while I'm up here preaching, man. <laughs> you can just say it out loud. That'd be all right. No, he texts me, Ray Comfort. Yeah, Ray Comfort. Ray does a great job of street preaching, the way he deals with that, okay? So, yeah, so the whole world is going to see that. And, we, and, and I'm telling you, there was a time not too long ago when you, when you read that verse and you go, How? How? We're seeing these things come to play that no time in history would that have been possible. And we see today and we go, I mean, you start talking about the mark of the beast. We used to talk about how could they do that? What would it be? I mean, is it 666, you know, branded on their forehead? And we, we're a little more sophisticated now. We figured out what they figured out. They're shooting chips into people's hands. They chipped our animals, right? Oh, but if your dog runs away, we can track him and find him. So let's put one in your hand. Well, why would you want to put one in my hand? So we can track you and find you. And here are your conversations and, and, and tie it to your bank account. So when you get outside the approved territory, we lock everything down. We turn your car off. You know, so there's the kind of stuff that can go on, right? What's that? Not supposed to chip our kids? You might want to go home and cut those out. I, 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 I'm just saying. I don't know. But, but we're, seeing, we're seeing the technology that now we, we have a whole... I think we think totally different when we start talking about the mark of the beast. 
We have a whole different understanding of, oh, okay. Now it's not like, how could that happen? Now we think about multiple ways we could see how that could happen and how it could be used. Okay, so not done, but I'm out of time. We'll stop right there. I didn't even get to my book.